As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Welcome to this replay of Ask N.T. Write Anything, where we go back into the archives to bring you the best of the thought and theology of Tom Wright, answering questions submitted by you, the listener. You can find more episodes as well as many more resources for exploring faith at premierunbelievable.com, and registering there will unlock access through the newsletter to updates, free bonus videos, and ebooks. That's premierunbelievable.com. And now, for today's replay of Ask N.T. Wright Anything. Welcome back to the show. Today on the programme, we're going to be looking at other faiths. We've got a number of questions about uh, interfaith issues, um, how we should relate, especially when it comes to evangelism and mission and that sort of thing, Tom. Um, I'm sure in some of the roles you've held, you've, that's often involved meeting with uh, religious leaders of other kinds. Yes. Um, when I was Bishop of Durham, um, I was involved both with interchurch work, particularly with some of the freer churches and some of my Roman Catholic neighbours, but then also um, at a national and international level with some Christian Jewish work and also some Christian Muslim work. Um, in Durham, there wasn't a large um, presence of, say, Buddhists or Hindus or, or other people from the subcontinent of India. But we did have, interestingly, um, uh, a well-known Orthodox Jewish community in Gateshead in the northern part of the Durham Diocese. And that was frustrating. I used to meet people from there sometimes, but they're very much um, enclosed, keeping themselves to themselves, and indeed apparently not having much contact with other less orthodox mm. Jewish groups. So th- that that was always something I would pray about and wish we could do more to involve them. And there were little bits of involvement. But um, yes, in my own work as a, as a biblical scholar, I've often had to work alongside and with Jewish colleagues um, coming at similar questions from very different angles. And then when Rowan Williams was archbishop, he got me involved with some of the Christian-Muslim dialogues that Mm. he was doing. So I've done a bit of that. Never as much, I have to say, as I might have liked, but I've always learned an enormous amount and it's been exciting. Yeah. Well, uh, as I say, a number of people wanting to ask questions about this. Um, Eric in Norway, we'll begin with, um, who says, there seems to be very little apart from the specific doctrines that we hold and our specific ritual practices that separate us from other belief systems, faith healings, prophecies, speaking in tongues, mystical experiences of something greater, loving one's neighbor, forgiveness, inner peace, formation of character, prayer and a relationship to a God. All of these can be found to some degree or other in other philosophies or religions. Which features of our faith as lived out in the present are truly unique and special for Christians? If there are none, then are we condemned to a purely intellectual, i.e. the historical basis is stronger, basis for our <laughs> faith? 
<laughs> so um yeah. eric apparently yeah. seems to think that there's there's a great deal of commonality and we just yes. really differ in some of the the, the specific yes uh, eric beliefs. has a point um if you go back to the first century and read one of my favorite non-christian authors from the first century epictetus there are places where epictetus who is a kind of a cheerful street level stoic there are places where you almost want to put your arm around him and embrace him when he talks about god even though he's a stoic who believes mm. that god is everywhere and everything is god nevertheless there is a personalness to his god and he has a wonderful prayer invoking this god and thanking him for his goodness etc etc um, and you have a sense, um, are you a crypto Christian or what? <laughs> you know, because this is not like the atheism that we know in the modern secular world. Mm. And I think it's if you've been soaked in the secular world, as so many of us have been, where just the assumptions of secularity are, are all around us, then when you meet people who seem to have uh, a prayer life, um, a sense of the love of God, etc., 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 you think, oh, well, that's that's what I got from my Christian faith. Of course, the difference, and Eric kind of swats it away at the end of his question, <laughs> the difference is Jesus. Right. Um, that for the Christian, um, everything that is true about the God who made the world, and the idea of a God who made the world is not common to all the faiths, of course. Um, everything about that God comes into focus, personal human focus, in Jesus of Nazareth. And more specifically, for the Christian, Jesus' death has accomplished the defeat of the powers of evil so that Jesus' resurrection has launched new creation and that all that we know arising out of that comes from that. And it isn't just, oh, well, we've got some historical background. Um, no, Christianity is about something that has happened in history as a result of which everything is different. Now, people say, well, it doesn't look that different to me. But um, actually, and again, I say as, a, as an ancient historian primarily, uh, I know what the Roman world in the first two or three centuries looked like reasonably well. And I know the impact that is made when you get people living radically differently. And of course, Christianity was born into a world of many faiths. Mm. It's not just chaps like Epictetus, but <laughs> there were all sorts of different religions, some of them very intense, some of them, yes, involving speaking in tongues or prophesying, mm. which is why Paul in First Corinthians has to say, here's the litmus test. Right. If, if somebody thinks that this is the Spirit, then if they end up saying Jesus be cursed, then that wasn't the Holy Spirit, <laughs> which shows that there's all kinds of stuff going mm. on. Mm. And, and so we have lived in, lived in this world which says, um, here is the secular world and there are these religious people mostly Christians we think and then we discover there's all these other people and that, that it's secularism that's actually out of step with, with the rest of the world so we live in a complicated and confusing world but Jesus is at the centre of what Christians believe I suppose the question that, that strikes me Eric is then asking is in a sense well, okay, granted, Jesus is, is unique in terms of the way we believe God has been revealed to us and, and it's through him that we approach God and, and so on. But if it looks like these other faiths are having broadly similar experiences, uh, aren't they just sort of simply doing God their way and we're doing God um, our way? Again, there's a glass half full, glass half empty mm. thing. And there are passages in Scripture which, which help us with that, like um, the story of Nahum and the Syrian, um, who suddenly meets the prophet Elisha and gets cured of his leprosy and then has to go back home where he's required to bow down in the Temple of Rimmon. And uh, Elisha says, actually, I understand your situation. That's fine. Um, or uh, like Cornelius in the book of Acts, who 
doesn't know about Jesus, but has been praying to God as best he can. And when Peter comes to him, he says, I see that um, God shows no partiality because in every race, anyone who uh, tries to love him and follow him is is acceptable. Mm. Um, At the same time, you're then on that knife edge where Jesus says on the one hand, those who are not against us are for us. And then on the other hand, there are Mm. other occasions where it's those who are not with us are, are against us. And discerning that difference has always been a tricky part of Christian discipleship. And the danger is that people will use the fact of other faiths, and you know they seem to have this good experience, whatever, as a way of downplaying the distinctiveness of Jesus and mm. saying, well, Jesus was one great teacher, but then there's Buddha and there mm. was Moses and there's mm. Muhammad and so on. And actually, when you look at it, that's not how it works. Okay. It really isn't. And so I think particularly the invention of the idea of faiths, which is a modern thing, mm. um, that's itself part of the secular agenda. And and the way that the questions come at us is the reflex of that secularity, which says secularism is the real thing, and there are these funny people who do these funny things. Mm. And I want to say the Christian experience, it comes in all shapes and sorts and sizes because we're all so different. Mm. Um, and trying to judge the truth or validity of Christianity by the sort of experience that it gives me or you or mm. some people is like going for a walk in the hills and taking a compass bearing on a sheep. That sheep is going to be moving around. You better watch out. <laughs> Similar sorts of questions uh, here, and, and we'll see what your response is. Miriam in York says, my sister is a New Age adherent, and I find that whenever we talk about spirituality, we use much of the same language The universe loves her, God loves me, etc. And we even seem to be in agreement about a lot. Mercy and self-giving love are principles she also follows, for example. I can't really see much of a difference in how we implement those in our lives either. Both of us seem to have arrived at the same way of living life through different means. What I wonder is, how does the work of the Holy Spirit fit into this? Should I at least not be somehow better at this way of life than her, given that we're roughly equal otherwise, (laughs) but that I have the Holy Spirit guiding me? Not that being better matters, I just want to understand the Holy Spirit's part in all of this. Also made me wonder, if our way of life can be copied without having our faith, then why is membership in God's family a necessary prerequisite for becoming part of his new creation project, so to speak? Yeah, good question. Um, Again, using a railway illustration, having just spent a certain amount of time on trains recently, um, if I get a train from Aberdeen to Bristol... uh, Quite a bit of the track will be the same track as you'd uh, you'd be using if you went from Inverness to London. It's coming down the middle of the country a certain Mm -hmm. way. But your origin is different and your destination is different. The fact that that middle bit, you're on the same track, um, doesn't actually tell you about where this came from or where it's going to. That's partly helpful. It doesn't Mm -hmm. get you all the way. Mm But I think I would say, yes, there are many people, quote, out there, unquote, who will say – uh, like the uh, Jewish teacher who muses about what Jesus says in Mark 12, and Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And he's sort of thinking it through. Mm, it looks as though, and, and there are many, many people in the New Testament times who would see what these early Christians were doing, and perhaps like Gamaliel in the book of Acts say, mm. hmm, this is the kind of movement that might just be from God. So watch out, don't start opposing it. Now, Again, navigating these things is a matter of discernment, but uh, again and again, historically, where Christians have 
as it were, said, oh, well, all people of goodwill act this way, so we'll just go with the flow. That may work for a year or for even a generation. Mm. But then, as we've seen in our country and our culture, an assumed Christian Britain, which I grew up with, Mm. the assumption just gradually turns away. And then people assume, um, well, uh, aren't you coming with us because we're still doing what we think Mm. we should? And the Christians have to say, well, sorry, no, we don't cross that bridge. Um, But if you've got out of the habit of discerning things Christianly, which means on the basis of Jesus, the Gospels, Mm. etc., and prayer for the Spirit, then the facility to say no when it's required may have atrophied. And that's that's a real problem. But as I say, in the early church, the reason people became Christians was because these Christian communities were actually living radically differently. That's not to say there weren't other communities that were trying to live differently and that there were some parallels between them. But my goodness, the Christians had the inner motivation because they believed that Jesus had defeated evil on the cross, so that if people said, well, you can't really sit down and eat with slaves. Oh, yes, we can. They're humans too, and Mm. they are part of the family. Mm. Or you can't really treat women as equal. Oh, yes, we can. This is a sister. She's part of the team. Um, And so there's all sorts of things Mm. where, again and again, Christianity does make a difference when you really follow it through. What you were saying earlier and just then made me think as well that sometimes we don't give credit to the fact that the reason someone who says they're a New Age adherent living in 21st century Britain does probably have rather similar values and goals to you is probably because we're soaked in still a Judeo-Christian heritage, well, which has yes. has informed so yes. many of the values that people now think, well, of course we all think uh, that, don't we? Quite, quite. And the answer is we do and we don't. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, Christians differ among themselves, obviously, as sure. well. But part of my trouble in answering that question is that the phrase new age can mean all sorts of Indeed, things and yes. this was big in the 80s and it seems still to linger on and re- re-emerge in new ways some new agey stuff is basically pantheistic that that, yeah. that god is as this person says god is the, the cosmos or the cosmos is god well go back to ancient stoicism it's all there and as i say you'll find epictetus is a good friend um but uh, at a certain point what the New Ager can't really have is a serious critique of evil because pantheism, um, the idea that mm. God is the cosmos and the cosmos is God, then everything that happens is just everything that happens. And if there is radical evil, and you have to be very naive not to think that there is, then what's going to happen about it? How does that? How do you deal with that? I think the thing I've noticed really emerging, you know, you have obviously on one hand the the diehard sort of secularist atheists who are, you know, really naturalistic in their thinking. But I think there's a large middle ground of people who like to call themselves spiritual but not religious and um, who don't want to name a particular religious tradition but but say I I don't disavow the idea of of a sort of transcendence and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and I think that's quite a difficult conversation to have with someone who's neither <laughs> fully against it or on one side, but it's so, sort of, yes, sort of yes. some, some hard to pin down, really, as to what yes. they, they actually and think or it, believe. It, it's funny because, um, yes, I know plenty of people who would come into that category. Mm. And when my publishers recently reissued a, a book that I'd written 25 years ago, the title they gave to the new edition was Spiritual and Religious, <laughs> in order to say, <laughs> actually, guess what? Um, there is a convergence here. Right. And I think the but not religious bit is picking up steam from the kind of reject 
rejection of a of an old-fashioned boring out-of-date mm. tedious churchianity mm. of a previous generation it's it's a way of saying yes i'm a deeply spiritual person of course i don't go to church or any of that but often somebody who's never darkened the doors of a church mm. or not for a long mm. time or maybe only for a wedding or a funeral um and actually <laughs> they would find if they turned up that the religion mm. is now quite different from mm. what they might have thought. Yeah. And that critique of religion as well has a great deal of the sort of 19th century liberal Protestantism about mm. it. Oh, we don't do religion. We do the, the, the real thing. Right. And so culturally that sounds appealing, but actually when you cash it out, it's not going to be very satisfying, let alone to do justice to what Christianity is actually all about. Mm. It isn't just about spirituality. It's about new creation and transformation mm. and us stumblingly finding ourselves caught up in that. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask N.T. Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash ntwrite. That's premierinsight.org forward slash ntwrite. Thank you. Mark in Washington State asks, I'm curious how you reconcile Jesus' assertion that we can ask for anything in his name or ask the Father in his name, from John 14 and 15, in expectation that it will come to pass with the reality of the many times godly Christ-following people have prayed for the healing of loved ones, sure. only to have them pass away with no apparent answer to their prayers. Thank you. I know this is never an easy question. No, it isn't an easy question. And uh, in in my close circle of acquaintances, there's been one such instance within the last year. Um, uh, a dear godson of mine uh, who died of cancer in his mid-30s, a lovely Christian young man with a super family. and Lots of fact, people praying, I'm sure. Lots of people mm. praying. Actually, a lot, because mm. he was quite well known in mm. his circles. Um and that remains a mystery, and uh, none of us want to pretend that it's anything other than that. However, he himself wrote some blog posts and diary posts um, in his last year when it became increasingly clear that he was going to die, die very young, um, uh, which made it clear that this didn't alter his belief in the fact that God does answer prayer, mm -hmm. but that it always remains a mystery. I mean, in a more easygoing example... I've often known 
that when you pray specifically about one particular thing and you think you know this is the answer to this question, Lord, please, will you do this thing now? This is what we reckon we need. And while you're praying about that, God quietly is doing something else over here Mm. and suddenly you realize, oh, I see, God seems to be taking these prayers and this is a much better answer than the one I had in mind. Now, I'm not saying that for my godson to die when he did was a much better answer in all sorts of ways, but I think that's the point at which we say we are here staring into uh, a void which sometimes seems dark and sometimes seems bright where Mm. we just have to say into your hands, we are not in charge, God is Mm. in charge. And though that, that is really tough sometimes, but but I but I do believe that what Jesus said in John fourteen and fifteen he really meant. Yeah. Well, I was going to say what 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 did he mean then? If 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 saying asking for things in Jesus' name is not some sort of magic cue to then get that thing you're asking yeah, for, yeah. what what does Jesus I, mean I by think, saying? I think it's something to that. do with the phrase in Jesus' name. Right. And this isn't a cop out. It's a way of saying, who is this Jesus in whose name we're asking? And this is the Jesus who in the scene in Gethsemane, in Matthew and Mark anyway, asked very specifically a question to which the answer was no, namely, please can there be another way? Mm. And then, nevertheless, not my will but yours. So the Jesus in whose name we pray is the one who himself went through that and ended up saying, my God, why did you abandon me? Mm. And we know in retrospect, and the gospel writers are trying to tell us in retrospect, that actually those prayers were amazingly, gloriously answered in a different way, not that mm. he was able to escape mm. the cross, but that through the cross mm. he did the most extraordinary world-changing victory. Another question here from Carol in Scotland says, can we, as resurrection people, tackle sin and evil in all its forms where we see it? Can we pray for freedom from disease, for instance? And I suppose that goes direct to the heart of that question can we be so bold as to simply pray for people to be healed of of disease and sickness? To be sure. And I have known people who the doctors have basically said, sorry, there's no chance. And people have got round and prayed and around the world. And we have an example in my own close family, um, a girl who was age six diagnosed with double kidney failure and told it was a matter of days. And uh, that was, um, ooh, 35 years ago. And she's now a healthy, Mm. happy 40 something Christian girl. Um, and uh, uh, there is no explanation. The doctors had no answer to, we don't understand why she's not dying. Um, and that is repeated again and again. If you talk to people who've been involved in that kind of ministry, that is clearly the case. Um, so I want to put that there mm. and say this really does happen, mm. partly because you know, God can do whatever God wants. Um, uh, the idea that he's sort of imprisoned in a system of his own making, which means that he isn't allowed to do different things, I think is I think is quite dangerous. Sorry, there was a second half. Well, of that well it was um, really just: can we pray for freedom from disease, for oh, instance? Well, um, yes, um, we can. Uh, at the moment, that prayer I think is subsumed within the larger prayer, going back to Romans eight, which is, uh, and also places in the Book of Revelation, where God's people have always prayed, "How long, O Lord? How long?" Mm. You know, this is where we are at the moment. We know this is not the end of your story. Please, will you bring um, the end of the story? And please, will you also bring such anticipations of that end as are appropriate at the moment? And I would 
put that in a maximalist way and not just a minimal, oh, well, there may be some slight improvement, but actually we've got to wait till, mm. till, till the last act. I, 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 this is my admission. I, I try to be faithful in prayer, but I, very often if I'm presented with someone who is obviously physically sick or, or whatever it might be, um, I don't always go for the full-blooded heal this person god kind of prayer i very often pray the sort of may they know your peace your 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 you know strength in difficult times and i fear that's because it's a slightly easier prayer for god to answer Um, somehow in some ways yes i'm i'm inclined to say um people are fundraising i'm not a fundraiser but when people who are fundraising will say well you're going to so and so why not ask for ten thousand pounds and if they say here's a fiver then that's fine <laughs> but if you only ask for a fiver that's all you're going to get um so I, i'm inclined to say we we should we should err on the side of going for the big one i mean right. i had a message just yesterday from a friend in another country who um uh, just three quite separate things are um, afflicting her at the moment mm. and i just sent an email message back um, just w- including a prayer for healing and for peace while that's going on mm. and that's that's all all one can do at the moment yeah. and i will continue to, to to pray for healing there um and and god can do with that prayer whatever god wants to do mm. i mean i think part of what is difficult for us to understand has to do with the working of the holy spirit that over the last generation because of the charismatic movement of pentecostalism and so on we've tended to think of the holy spirit as working um, only in uh, dramatic sudden outbursts of whatever it may be but for all christians who are indwelt by the spirit um their prayers and the spirit's prayers are melded together and god knows what's going on and god is at work through our personalities some of which may be more bouncy and effervescent and some of which may be quieter and Mm. and more introverted Um, and that's fine so that our task is to be present with god in the spirit shaped according to the pattern of christ and to hold these and and the, the wisdom from oh ancient christians the desert fathers people like that as well as i have to say the wisdom from many great jewish rabbis who've said the same thing is that when we are in the presence of god sometimes we just get an awareness this is what you should be praying for now and sometimes i've only had it once or twice in my whole life i've suddenly had the sense you've been praying for this person for the last weeks months whatever it is it's going to be okay Mm. and so you can scale that down and a strong sense and the last time this happened i waited a week and then emailed the friend whose daughter it was that i was praying for and said i'm just wondering if actually there was a turn for the better last weekend got the message Mm. how did you know right so that that does happen for the person listening who thinks gosh i wish i could have your prayer life tom because prayer for me is I don't feel like I'm commun- getting much back uh, or mm-hmm. it's just difficult. It feels mm-hmm. dry and um, and I struggle at it. Mm-hmm. Where where would you say to begin in that case? <clears throat> I'm a good Anglican. Begin with the Psalms. <laughs> um, actually, I, I hope I'm not a very good Christian, but I'm a Christian. <laughs> begin with the Psalms. The Psalms were Jesus' prayer book. They should be our prayer book. Okay. One of the things I really grieve over in the contemporary church is that so many lively churches mm. have given up using the psalms mm. and they say well it's so difficult our people are new to all this and said yeah. well yeah but there get are ways <laughs> get them used to it there, there are ways it's like 
the psalms are like when you learn to play the piano and these are the basic scales and arpeggios right. and to begin with yeah your fingers may not be mm. comfortable but once you're into it then the world of Haydn, Mozart and Beethoven starts <laughs> to open up in front of you so the psalms mm. um, Billy Graham once said that he prayed five psalms a day he said because they helped me get along with God and he read one chapter of Proverbs a day because it helps me get along with man he said <laughs> I heard him say that and I thought wow good idea yeah my tradition gives you, on average, five psalms a day. Get through the, the Psalter in a month. Right. Get through Proverbs in a month. Um, I, because I now read them in, in Hebrew or the Septuagint in Greek, I go a bit slower than that. But but they are always there. Mm. It's a river of prayer into which we can step. And very honest prayer, very often. Um, oh, the psalms are, are brutally honest. Yeah. Hey, God, wake up. What's going on? Yeah. I, I, it's like the disciples on the boat with Jesus. Hey, come on. You're <laughs> supposed to be in charge here. There's a storm going. We're, we're going to drown. And yeah. the Psalms are exactly like that. Wake up, God. Why don't you do something? Mm. And that's robust. Mm. It's, it's very Jewish. Um, mm. and, uh, and if we find that almost striking and offensive, mm. well, so we should. But as, and, and coming back to the point you made at the very beginning, which is that sometimes it's difficult to simply start prayer from 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 a standing start sometimes it very often is response oh, yes. to scripture oh yes oh, which yes. fires up our prayers oh yes and, yeah. and that that's that's again and again and again been so and for me again um the framework of an easy set liturgy there are certain prayers in the old prayer book which i still use mm. which say better than i possibly could exactly what i want to pray and i think many young christians find that liturgy feels constricting and dry and this is mm. somebody else's framework mm. and i want to say it's like a suit of clothes which has been handed down from an older brother or whatever <laughs> that actually you'll find as you grow into this it'll be comfortable and you'll, you'll be at home there final question from elizabeth in northern ireland she says i heard a sermon that we need to give god permission to act through prayer they said he can't do anything on earth unless we ask him to i totally disagree we would like to know what you have to say about this. <laughs> God doesn't need our permission to do anything. He can do what he jolly well wants. <laughs> However, um, as I said, it seems that the way God has made the world is such as to give humans the dignity of sharing agency. Mm. Um, and, of course, God can override, overrule, and just as well, because if everything that had to happen today in this city, whatever, was the result of someone's prayers there's a lot of things which would just stop dead in their tracks because nobody mm. happened to be praying about mm. it. So mm. it's very odd. But, I mean, I understand that the preacher in question was overstating a point right. in order to say, don't just hang back and assume that if God is God, he's going to do it anyway. Right. You jolly well pray about it. Yeah. And just as we close out, something that I have more and more been drawn towards is, is the theology of the idea of us being involved at some level in a sort of a cosmic warfare and our prayers are being joined if you like in in that movement of god's kingdom but there is another kingdom pressing against that and yeah, so yeah. when we don't perhaps always see the answers we would like to our prayers yeah. we've got to remember yeah. it's a battleground yeah, and we yeah, don't yeah. see victory in every battle in the in the war i would put together that scene from gethsemane where jesus is absolutely up against it and sweating drops of blood and so on um deeply uncomfortable this is not the sort of calm mm. mystical easy access this is absolutely up against the wall put that together with ephesians chapter 6 where paul talks about our struggle being with principalities and powers and where uh, the weapon of all prayer is one of the weapons in the spiritual warfare um 
And one of the things that I think I've learned is that often that's going on when we don't really think it is, that we mm. just we're doing something that yeah. seems to be ordinary. And it may be only later we look back and say, oh, my goodness, that was what was at stake there. Some real major issue mm. going on. One can get I don't know how to put this. I was going to say one can get sort of overexcited about right. this. So, oh, you know, onward Christian soldiers marching <laughs> us to war. Let, let's go. And I want to say this: this is a, this is a messy war. Right. It's it's uh, it's dark. The enemy does not play fair. There's no Geneva Convention in mm. spiritual warfare. And so often the things we have to do are uh, to hang in there when it's mm. tough. Mm. Uh, in Screw Tape Letters, Lewis has. Uh, Screwtape the senior devil saying to Wormwood the junior devil make no mistake our cause that is the devil's cause is never more in danger than when a human being here's the phrase no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will (laughs) looks out on a universe from which every trace of him seems to have been removed asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys and that's obviously a picture of Jesus on the cross but Lewis is turning it into an image of what it's like when we're praying, yeah. when no longer desiring but still mm. intending. That's, mm. a, that's a wonderful yeah, phrase. Absolutely. A great place to conclude. Mm. But perhaps um, you, as it's this particular episode is about prayer, it seems to make sense to perhaps conclude with prayer. Sure. Um, so, Tom, I wonder if you would just lead a, a brief prayer, um, perhaps for anyone listening who themselves is struggling with prayer uh, or who would like yeah. to... Yeah. Um, in some way, there, there are issues in their life which they've struggled to pray through and to, yeah, to see yeah, yeah. God's hand at work in. Perhaps you could sure. pray for that. Sure, let's pray. Gracious Father, you make us in your image so that we can reflect your love into the world and so that as we do that, we can know that love in ourselves. I pray for my brothers and sisters around the world as we all learn to pray, as we all learn to be kingdom people, to be image bearers, to be intentional about standing before you with the needs of your world on our hearts. I pray that you will take us as we are, very different from one another, different personalities, different backgrounds, different temperaments, but use us by your Spirit to be part of the great movement of prayer, part of the great breath of the Spirit, blowing in the world, catching us up within it, Teach us to pray. Take us, each one of us, from where we are to where you would have us be. Uh, Grow us spiritually. Make us people of faith, people of prayer, people of hope, so that through our prayers, in ways perhaps that we'll never even see except just glimpse occasionally, your will may be done and your kingdom come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Ask N.T. Write Anything podcast. Let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider.